When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. We talk a lot on the show about all aspects of quilting. Uh, you know, we give tips for piecing, choosing fabrics, uh, machine quilting tips, ironing, cutting, and more. But rarely do we talk about the very first step of making a quilt choosing a quilt pattern. Now, I've set this episode up a little like a choose-your-own-adventure quilt. <laughs> there really is no art to picking a quilt pattern. Uh, if you find one you love, make it. Um, there are no rules, but if you're looking for something really specific or have limitations on your time or the fabric you have, there are some extra considerations you can take. So I'll walk you through some of the choices you have when picking a pattern. First, let's talk about sewing seasonal or holiday quilts. I think many quilters sew off season. And what I mean by this is that in order to have a quilt finished in time to use and display during a specific season or holiday, you are probably starting this quilt at least a month ahead, if not much more. So I know for me, I just finished a Halloween quilt, which I spent all summer sewing, uh, and I just started a Christmas quilt so that I could have it done by the holidays this year. So if you're looking for a quilt pattern for a specific holiday or season, keep in mind the complexity of the pattern and how much time you have. Like if you want a new throw for a holiday that's three weeks away, you may want to look for one that's pre-cut friendly or made of a really easy block so you can get it done fast. Or you may want to look for maybe like a table topper pattern instead and wait until next year to start on a throw quilt so that you have more time. Some quilters prefer to sew in season, which means they will sew a fall quilt during fall with the knowledge that it won't necessarily be displayed until the following year. So I've done this in the past before, and I have to say it's nice to be sewing for the season I'm in. Um, I think it really helps me embrace the holiday or season more. Uh, but it is hard to finish it knowing that I'll be sticking it in the closet until next year. Um and that can sometimes turn a project into a UFO because you lose steam on it or you don't have that sense of urgency. So these are all things to keep in mind when you're choosing a seasonal or holiday quilt pattern. Next, let's consider the fabric you have. So some quilters will choose a pattern and then shop for that needed fabric at their local quilt shop. But many quilters like to use fabric they have on hand to help keep costs down or to use up parts of their stash. So if that's the case, take a look at the fabric you have. 
So if you buy uh, fat quarter bundles or other types of pre-cuts, you may be on the lookout for pre-cut friendly patterns to help you make the best use of the fabric you have. Now, if you save all your scraps, you may want to find scrappy quilt patterns so you can put to use all of those saved pieces. Maybe there are some colors of fabrics you own a lot of. For me, it's blues. So I may look for a pattern that showcases a lot of one or two colors of a fabric so I can make a dent in one of my most collected colors. If you like to buy large prints, such as florals or novelty prints, uh, you may want to find a pattern that showcases larger pieces of fabric or uses the fussy cutting method so that you can show off your fabric without having to cut it up too small. So once you know what fabric in your space you want to use, that can also help narrow down what pattern you're looking for. Next, let's talk about finding a pattern based on your time commitment and your schedule. So this one is actually something I think about often because I do have a lot of both personal and work commitments, uh, and I never want my quilting to feel like something I have to squeeze into my lifestyle. You know, I want it to work with my schedule so it feels both productive, productive and relaxing. So... If I know I'm entering a really busy time of year or, you know, for instance, I might have a lot of work sewing to do and I need to focus on that over my personal projects, um, I'll choose patterns for myself that are easier or smaller. Um, so they may have simple blocks. Um, a lot of times I like to chain piece things. So I'll look for patterns that lend itself to that technique. Um, I also may use that time to start or catch up on a block of the month or sampler quilt um, because it's fun to make and finish a few blocks during a busy time. Um, if I'm traveling a lot, I may choose a handwork project so that I can take it on the go. And of course, on the flip flip side, if I'm entering a less busy time in my life, I will choose patterns that you know, may, maybe they're requiring more attention to detail, maybe they're more complicated on this on the skill level. Um, and maybe they will just need a lot of sewing time. Um, and I will choose that because I have that time to give. And lastly, I wanted to talk about choosing a pattern for a specific event, such as a baby shower, an anniversary or wedding gift, or a quilt for charity. For charities, many of those charities have specific size and fabric requirements, um, and they may also have suggested patterns on their website. So just make sure that you're checking out all those details before you're choosing a pattern. If you plan to donate more than one quilt, you may also want to choose a, you know, a simpler pattern that you can make quickly, you can make a multiples, so you can focus on making more donations versus like the most intricate quilt donations. For baby or wedding gifts, uh, many times you're dealing with people who have specific tastes, you know, such as a specific color palette or a decor style. So I think it's always best to reach out to them and ask um, for a color scheme for, you know, a decor style. So I, I sometimes will cheat and check the gift registries to see what colors and styles of things they're asking for. And that sometimes helps you get an idea. 
Um, you could also make a Pinterest board or like a mood board for them um, and kind of see what they're drawn to. So maybe you want to choose a mix of traditional, modern quilt patterns, you know, various styles and complexities and colors. So you can, you know, we can't always expect our recipients to know everything about quilts. So we want to kind of give them some general guidance um, and see what they're attracted to. And of course, no matter what pattern they pick, you can update the pattern with colors or, you know, alter it to work with the space they want. But having that starting place can help you decide on a final pattern. And make sure you ask what type of space they want to display the quilt in. So some younger couples might prefer a quilt for a couch rather than a traditional gift of a bed quilt for their wedding. Um, or maybe new parents would prefer a wall hanging to display in the baby's room versus a quilt for them to put with the bedding. So it's just kind of hard to predict what people want all the time. So I always th just think it's best to ask. So I hope these tips help next time you're looking for a pattern. Uh, like I said, make any pattern you love. Like there are no rules, but sometimes you just are looking for something specific to fit your time, your budget, or the occasion. So these ideas will help you think through those things. And if you need inspiration for altering any quilt pattern to make it work for your style or space, listen into episode 527 of this podcast. We gave lots of ideas on how to update a chosen pattern on that episode. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, a staff member is sharing a recent win, and we have tips for overcoming a project's halfway point. Welcome back. I'm handing the mic over to Allison for Quilty High Five, a segment where we ask our staff to share something they're proud of. Take it away, Allison. When I first started quilting and realized it was a hobby that I was going to stick with, I bought fabric with reckless abandon. Before I knew it, all of my fabric storage had been filled. In some cases, my fabric bins were bulging and I could not fit more in there if I tried. Over the last several years, I've made it a goal to sew with what I own as much as possible. Whenever I start a new project, I look through my stash to see what might work. Even though I collect a lot of fabric, I'm always conservative with the amount I purchase. Most of my stash consists of fat quarters or half yard pieces. Because of these small amounts, I'm forced to make scrappier projects with a large assortment of prints in similar colors. This has now become my new favorite way to make quilts. I love seeing all the different prints and textures come together. I've still made fabric purchases over the years, but have restricted what I buy. If I need a larger amount of fabric for sashing, borders, binding, or backing, I tend to go shopping. Also, if I see a new print or fabric collection come out that I absolutely fall in love with, that I know will sell out quickly, I snag it while I have the chance. My trips to quilt shops are now planned with the intention of looking for something specific instead of shopping just because. All of these things combined have limited my spending and helped me use and appreciate the fabric that I already own. I'm very proud of the scrappy stash quilts I've made and have enjoyed rediscovering fabrics that I purchased years ago. Thanks, Allison. 
I love giving virtual high fives. So if any of our listeners want to share something they're proud of, please email me at apqpodcast at meredith.com so that we can celebrate together. Now it's time for UFO Challenge, a segment where we share tips for finishing your longtime projects. And today I want to talk about the halfway point of projects and how that affects our productivity. So the halfway mark is a known barrier in many aspects of life. It could be a quilting project, a marathon, a school year, a home improvement project. When we start new things, like a new quilt, you know, we have excitement, we have passion, and we make the time to work on it. Many quilters I know love the beginning of the process, such as picking fabrics, uh, seeing that first block come together, and then at some point that excitement wears off. So things maybe start to get repetitive, Uh, you may reach a step of the process you don't love, uh, maybe such as making a bunch of triangle squares or trimming a lot of units, and you get busy with something else and maybe you're spending less time on that project. And that can lead to a project becoming a UFO because you push it aside and it may be months or years before you work up that passion to finish it. And that's the problem with halfway points because at that halfway point in a project, you lose steam and you feel like you've come so far, but you're not seeing the fruits of your labor. And it can become overwhelming to have to put in that same amount of energy and time into the project again to finish that last half. Now, if you feel this halfway point malaise coming, there are a few things you can do to get over the hurdle and finish the project. The first is to focus on a finish. Finish anything. Finish a block, uh, sew a row of the quilt together, prepare the binding. Sometimes that halfway mark is hard because all we've done is cut and sew small pieces together. And while it's not the most efficient way to always make one block at a time, if you're struggling with finding motivation or feeling like you're making progress, try finishing things one at a time. As soon as you start seeing blocks to come together or have a section of a quilt up on your design wall, the more incentive you have to get it finished. Another thing you can do is keep yourself accountable. Promise your sewing friends that you'll be checking in weekly to share your progress. This may mean posting a picture on social media each week or texting a friend. Sometimes feeling that pressure to share our progress with others can keep you moving on a project. And that validation and the nice comments you'll get back when you share what you finished is a nice way to propel yourself forward and feel good about working on your project. And if you really just don't want to work on the project at this time and you have another project you're sewing instead, find a way to make small progress steps on the older project. So for me, I find that slipping in a few pieces here and there as I chain piece the new project or trimming a few extra units every time um, slowly makes progress on the older quilt without feeling like you're actually working on it. 
And then I set a date on my calendar to come back to the older project and check my progress. I promise that if you do a little here and there for a few months, you'll be almost done with the quilt before you know it. So we have to take a quick ad break now, but when we come back, we're sharing products we love and tips for hand applique. Welcome back. Now it's time for Products We Love, a segment where we share supplies our staff is obsessed with now. The first product is the Needle Twister from Prim. So it's a tube filled with 19 hand sewing needles, and it has a top cap to keep everything contained. When you take the cap off, you can twist the bottom of the tube and it raises up the needles and fans them out so you can easily grab the one you need. And it has a magnetic base that holds all the needles so nothing will fall out. I think it's just such a genius design. Uh, it looks like a little aqua tube of lipstick almost. So you could just throw it in your, you know, your purse, your project bag. And I don't have to worry about accidentally dumping the needles everywhere or poking myself trying to grab the needle I need. It's just so clever. This next product is amazing. So it's called Wool Press and Lock Tiles, and it's from Sewing by Sarah. And they are 10-inch square wool pressing mats that are sold individually. And they have interlocking edges, kind of like puzzle pieces on all the sides. So you can connect them to form any shape you need. So you can have just one sitting next to you. you. Maybe you want to bring it to a retreat. Maybe you just need to press small pieces next to your machine. But then you can, you know, build one that fits your ironing board. So you can have, you know, longer, uh, you know, area of them, or you can build a square. And when you're not using them, they easily stack for storage. So Honestly, I can't believe no one's invented this sooner. It is a must-have for your sewing space. If you're a person who struggles with binding, the quilt binding ruler is for you. So it's an acrylic ruler made by Janae Alves, and it assists in every step of the binding process. So um, it's made to work with both two and a half inch wide and two and a quarter inch wide binding strips. And the ruler helps mark and trim diagonal seams, mark a quarter inch away from the corners of a quilt where you would stop sewing your binding. And it helps you mark and join your binding ends with a continuous seam. So it's kind of hard to explain how this ruler works over a podcast. Um, it's much easier to understand how it works by seeing it. So we will link to a video in the show notes so that you can watch and learn more. The next product is the Fine Line Glue Tips from Pen and Paper Patterns. So it's a glue tip that you add to a four ounce bottle of washable Elmer's glue for exact glue application in your projects such as precision piecing without pins, uh, binding by machine, sewing curves, English paper piecing, applique placement, and more. And the best part is that the tip is airtight and non-clogging, so you can use it over and over again without the glue getting stuck and inside and having to clean it out, which is 
truly a lifesaver if you've ever worked with glue before um, in your projects because it can get annoying if you uh, get it stuck in there and you can't use it properly. So speaking of cleaning, uh, you can show your iron some love with the Magic Iron Cleaner from Faultless Brands. So this cleaner removes residue and fusible web from your iron's sole plate with a cleaning cream. And it's safe for most irons and, of course, non-flammable. And it's just a good product to have around in case, you know, you need it. And it's only $4.99 a bottle. And lastly, a book recommendation. So this book is called Color Block Quilt Making from Elizabeth Chapel. It includes 12 quilt patterns that range in size from mini to bed size. And the patterns showcase geometric and color blocked elements for a more modern look. And they're just striking patterns that feel very livable in your home. So I will link to all these products in the show notes so that you can shop if you're interested. Now I'm handing the mic to Doris for Handwork Happiness, where she shares tips for different types of handwork. Take it away, Doris. Today, I want to talk to you about hand applique and share some of my preferred tools with you. I recently shared here on the podcast and on my Instagram account at Made by a Brunette, a hand-pieced quilt top I made that I am adding hand applique borders to. I'm sure you've seen those impeccably made applique quilts hanging in shows or in museums displaying the craftsmanship we all aspire to. My applique doesn't quite have the workmanship of those award-winning beauties that we all gaze at in wonderment, but it takes practice and the right tools to even get close to that level. For me, good needles and thread are the two most important tools. Straw needles, also called milliner's needles, have a long, narrow shank that pulls easily through the fabric leaving a very small hole. I personally prefer size 10 or size 11 straw needles from John James Golden Glide or Gina Kimball's Foxglove Cottage. I have a pack of Tulip brand straw needles at home, which I've heard good things about, but I have yet to try them myself. Now thread, I know someone who constantly preaches, preaches the importance of having the right tool for the job and he refuses to make do with a substitute implement. I've learned over my many years of sewing and quilting how important that adage is. For hand applique, my thread of preference is silk thread. Several years ago, I invested in several colors of YLI silk thread 100 weight. It's made of 100% pure filament silk, and it sews like butter. If you want thread that hides your stitches, it's worth the investment. If you're a beginner and not sure you want to invest in silk thread just yet, a less expensive but still great quality product is Wonderfill Invisifil, a silk-like thread, two-ply, cottonized polyester, also in 100 weight. I use this for my English paper piecing, and it's a good thread in small, affordable spools so you can get many colors without spending a lot of money. Applique pins are another tool that come in handy. I know we often think, isn't a pin a pin? Why can't I just use the pins I already have? Well, you can, but there are benefits to using applique pins. They are quite small. Not only do they have a small shank, but they are three quarters of an inch or less in length, which is much shorter than most sewing pins. The benefit is that you can pin your applique piece in place and applique it to the background without having to move or remove your pin or adjust it. 
In addition, the small shank allows your piece to lay flat, not cause a bulge or a ripple in the fabric to accommodate the pin. Both of these benefits lead to a better finish for your applique. There are several companies that make these, Clover, Gina Kimball's Foxglove Cottage, Bowen, and Little House Japan. You may also want a thimble. I use a leather one with a cutout for my fingernail, but any thimble that is comfortable for you will work. If you struggle working with the finer weight thread we recommend, pick up a thread conditioner like Thread Magic that will minimize fraying and prevent tangling. This product is easy to find at any sewing or hobby store. They even have one out now with a built-in thread cutter. Other tools you will find handy to have on hand are thread snips and a bias tape maker. I personally prefer to make my bias tape the old-fashioned way, though the bias tape maker notion will save your fingers from any steam burns from your iron. I have a few wooden yarn spindles from an antique store that I use to wrap my bias tape or binding around after I've made it, but a paper towel or toilet paper roll will work just as well. Let me know if you try out any of my suggestions and how it went for you. If you would like to hear me discuss a specific method or recommend favorite tools for a particular hand stitching craft, leave us a comment or send me a message on Instagram. I'd love to hear what it is you love about stitching or sewing by hand and what works best for you. Thanks, Doris. And that's it for today's show. Uh, before we leave, I want to ask for some help. Um, next month, we're doing an episode called Ask Us Anything. It's one of my favorite episodes we do through throughout the year. Uh, we do usually once once a season, and it's so fun to just answer all of the random questions that everyone has. It can be sewing or quilting related, about the magazines or our jobs or about our sewing lives, just really anything that pops into your head. Um we're open to answering anything, and I look forward to hearing from all of you. So if you have a question, email me at apqpodcast at meredith.com so that we can start preparing for this Ask Us Anything show in September. Thanks, and have a great week.